Well, hey, listen, uh, we have a special guest in the house this morning. Love you too. So many times we uh, think about this world is truly not our home. And we're just kind of caretakers for a little while. We're fixing to move on uh, pretty soon, some of us sooner than others. Uh, some of us, of our family members, have already moved on. And, uh, but I want you to know that, you know, and I've said it before many times, that it should occur to each and every one of us that nothing ever occurs to God. Nothing. He has everything in order. And so when I decided to do um, some Christmas messages for the month of December, one of the things, the title uh, came to me, A Christmas to Remember. And uh, I want each and every one of you to have a Christmas to remember. But I want you to remember it for the right reason of what Christmas is about. I really do. And so as we go into the Word this morning, if you would open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians, chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to start reading in verse 4 through 7 this morning. Everybody got it? Uh, that's good. I keep going back to my youth ministry days. I used to do that with my students. You got it? Got it. Can't help it, but anyway. Hey, let's stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Would you mind doing that this morning? Let's do that. Let's listen. Let's listen to God speak to our hearts. Let's prepare ourselves for God to speak to our hearts this morning. Amen? Let's do it this morning. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Father, we just thank you for this time together this morning. And we thank you, Lord, for your precious word. For your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. Lord, may we hide your word in our heart. That one, we would not sin against you, but also, Lord, that you would cause everything that's in there to come to remembrance, Lord, at the appropriate time of when we need to hear your voice. Father, we give you praise, we give you honor, we give you glory this morning, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray you deal with me and you deal with every person in this place this morning, whether they're right or whether they're not right. I pray, God, that you would just speak the truth. Lord, to each and every one of us this morning, help us, Lord, to draw a circle around ourselves, God, and hear from you this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you. I pray if there's anyone in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you as Savior, that before they leave today, they will know Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord and Master of their life. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for Mike and his ministry, Dominican Republic. We pray for all those children, the people down there, uh, who I know struggle, they struggle. I pray, God, that you continue to bless his ministry, Lord, to those folks down there in Dominican Republic, and Lord, that far and wide. Lord, I know the word says that we would always have poor people among us, but we have wealthy people among us too. And Lord, and we're able to help those who don't have much. And Lord, and we do that, and I thank you for a generous, gracious church. I thank you for them that they love. They love whether they're here or whether they're out and about. I know, I see, I hear uh, what you do, Father Lord, uh, in the daily lives of this congregation here. And Father, I give you praise for your touch today. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said what? Amen. Amen. Y'all may be seated. I have a question for you this morning. If you would ask somebody what kind of preparations did God make for the coming of his son... What would you tell them? What would you tell them? You know, the answer a lot of times, most probably the answer would be, well, it'd be a typical Christmas story. There was Mary, and then there was Joseph, right, heading to Bethlehem. 
riding on a stinking donkey, right? I'm sure he didn't smell good. But anyway, um, on a donkey with no room in the inn, right? And you would talk about probably the manger. You might talk about the shepherds. You might talk about the host of angels that appeared to those shepherds, right? And on and on, you would probably tell that story. But I want to submit to you that when Paul said what he said in Galatians, in that phrase, when the time came to completion, listen, Paul understood the infinite preparation that God the Father made from history in arranging the past for us today, which you and I call Christmas. Paul fully understood when he wrote these words in Galatians. And so we're going to talk about what that meant, what that really means. So as you and I look today, as we contemplate with anticipation and preparation of his coming, I want you to see, listen, number one, God's great providential hand in guiding, in controlling, in leading, in the affairs of mankind to bring about this special time we call Christmas, which ultimately changed the course of human history. But it also, listen, it also changed the destiny of mankind in all of us as believers forever. Forever. So the question on your fill-in-the-blank I have there, what three ways did God let us know the Messiah was coming? There are three ways. There's probably more ways, but here's three ways that I saw this in, in this message. The preparation first began with the prophets. He used the prophets to share the word of God. The word of God, it came from, there was a word of the Lord when the prophet spoke. Listen, when he spoke, God was using these men of God to speak his very words back in antiquity. And what they spoke were prophecies. So with prophecies that were fulfilled in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. These prophecies and fulfillments are in the margins of all of your Bibles. Probably. If you got a study Bible, you probably got a margin in there and it kind of cues you of what scriptures to go to in the New Testament. You know, the prophecies of the Old Testament, the fulfillment of those prophecies in the New Testament. These prophecies came primarily by proclamation from God by many prophets of the Old Testament. For example, in Isaiah or in Micah or in Zechariah and many others. And probably the most famous we quote for Christmas comes from Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. And listen to what it says. It says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. This was a word of proclamation. It was a word of prophecy. And this is how God chose to share his message to all of us. We know that these proclamations are prophecies of the fulfillment of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He came 2,000 years ago, and he's coming again. And I pray, pray tell that you're ready, because he could come at any, at any moment. So many times it was given through a word of prophecy, through a word of proclamation. Secondly, we know that God gave those prophecies of the coming of the Messiah, listen, also through symbols, like a little lamb. Did he not? Listen, by the shedding of the blood of the lamb, prophecy, looking forward to the future, without the shedding of the blood, there's no what? Forgiving of sin, no covering of sin, no remission of sin. Adam and Eve, after their sin, we know that they were covered with animal skins. The shedding of blood to provide the covering. We know throughout the Old Testament of the sacrificial system of the blood of goats and bulls and lambs throughout the Old Testament scripture. It's all through it all, setting the stage for the Messiah. The blood was applied to the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. For the atonement of sin for the whole year of the nation of Israel. So then you have another question you might ask. Why didn't God just let Jesus come without all these prophecies? Why not? Listen, because God began to give mankind hope. 
hope of a new beginning because of sin's stain and sin's destruction, of a new relationship, and he called him the Messiah, which is the anointed one. So God gave man that hope. When, did, when do you think he gave it to him? Well, you might say it must have been through the Old Testament prophets like Zechariah and others. But actually it began in the first family of the Bible. In the book of Genesis, chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, 15 says this, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. God said, Satan, you will strike his heel. But he, Jesus, will strike your head. Delivering that fatal blow. He will do it. He did it. He is going to do it. Think about this, about the woman. Talked about between your seed and her seed. Think about that. The woman doesn't have a seed. The woman doesn't have a seed. This is the first implication of the virgin birth. The first implication of that virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Right here in the first book, God gave prophecies as words of hope given accurately and very specifically. The prophecies were given throughout the Old Testament, listen, as a means of identifying the true Messiah sent by God, His Son. So, that, so that's why we are so many and so many meticulously fulfilled prophecies. There's so many of them, every one of them. Also, we see how God divinely protected every one of these prophecies. He did. And I'll give you an example in Noah. Think about this. In Noah, Noah had a family. God was going to destroy the whole earth. God was sorry that he had made man on earth in Genesis 6. And when you look at that, he spares Noah and his family. You know, he's got three sons, Shem, right? Ham and Japheth. Every family on the face of the earth was destroyed except for Noah and his family. Why? So the Messianic ge genealogical line was saved, listen, through Shem, his son Shem. The line of Jesus comes out of, the, out of Shem, which is just a, more of a prophecy, more proof. You can see how Satan, he'll work all through history in certain instances, trying to continually destroy God's plan. He would try, listen, he will try even to get you and I off track every single day. It's his job. He does it like it's his job because it is his job. Like some of us eat turkey dinner like it's our job. <laughs> right? But Satan knows exactly what he's doing, what he's trying to do. And he wants to slit every one of you up. He wants to destroy. He wants to devour. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to ruin your life. He wants to ruin your family life. He wants to ruin your marriage. He wants to ruin everything in your life. Because, see, your life is about pointing to Jesus. And when you're on Jesus' team, you are a great foe, listen, of the devil. The devil wants to destroy your very life breath. He wants to render you ineffective for the kingdom of God. So as we see, God protects all the prophecies of Scripture, thus depicting God's sovereign control. God is sovereign. He rules over everything. It's amazing. This is a witness of God's sovereign control. God has dotted every single line, and he's crossed every T in the Word of God, everything in his prophecies. The Word of God is perfect. It is perfect. This should restore your soul. I want you to turn to Galatians 4, 4. Listen to what he says. He said, when the time came to completion, it says that God sent his son. Look at this. When the fullness of time came, let's look at two or three prophecies out of the 300 in the Old Testament concerning Jesus the Messiah. Look at Isaiah 7, 14 again. He said, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Written 700 years before Jesus was even born. Long before Jesus came on the scene. Look at the kind of birth that he had. Listen, it says what? A virgin with child. And then the other thing, Emmanuel. 
which means, or God with us. I want you to read on, turn to Matthew chapter 1. Let's look at this, let's look at the fulfillment of this prophecy in Matthew. Matthew 1, starting in verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus came. Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Amen? Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. And they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated what? God with us. God left heaven's portals, put on skin, flesh, Jesus came to earth. He knows this intimately. He knows this well. He's been through everything and more than everything than anything we've ever been through. And he did that because of his love for you. There is no mistaking what this prophecy meant. God's atoning death required he be born of a virgin, Mary. No mistake of prophecy here. She was a virgin. All the New Testament declared it. And we're going to talk about that a little later next week. Galatians says, when the time came of completion, or in the fullness of time, it happened according to God's divine calendar, his divine time. Now I want you to go back and look at Micah. Turn to Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. Micah also was written 700 years B.C., before Jesus, right approximately about that time frame. Before Jesus. These prophecies are very important. It says in Micah 5, verse 2, Bethlehem, Epaphra, which means fruitful, it says, you are small among the clans of Judah. And listen to what it says. And one will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. And this is the key. His origin is from antiquity, from eternity. In other words, his life is from the days of eternity. In other words, he always was and always is and always will be. And that's what we see here. Paul says when the time of completion or the fullness of time, here's a prophecy of the birth of Jesus Christ right here, written 700 years before. Now in Daniel, you can go to Daniel 9. Daniel 9, verses 25 and 26. Daniel, in chapter 9, verse 2, he's like asking Jeremiah, uh, uh, Jeremiah just wanting to figure out about what, how long they're going to be in Babylon. And so, and so Daniel writes here in verse 25 about the Messiah. He says, now, and he said, no one understand this. He said, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be rebuilt with a plaza and a moat, but in difficult times. After those 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the coming prince will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come with a flood, and until the end there will be war, desolations are decreed. This is the timing of the coming of Christ, the Messiah. Remember the wise men? You remember the wise men, who they were, the magi, the three wise men that we say there were three wise men, right, that we see? Is, are they on there? One, two, three, I don't know, but I don't know if they're all there. The wise men, right? Man, you know who they are? You know where they came from? They were the descendants of the students of Daniel, who we just read about. These were the wise men who came to Bethlehem searching for the promised Messiah, the king of all kings. Jesus the Christ. The Magi followed the prophecies 
from the scrolls that were left in Babylon by Daniel. Studying those scrolls in the libraries in Babylon. They followed the stars, arriving at the location of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, following that star. So God fit everything perfectly as he fulfilled and gave these prophecies. Now I know some of you are going, well, they weren't at the birth of Jesus. They showed up a little bit later, but make no mistake about it, they saw Jesus. Amen? Listen, you guys have all heard me quote that over 340 prophecies have been fulfilled in the life of Jesus, our Messiah. Jesus Christ, through, listen, God gave us very clear means of identifying the true Messiah through the Old Testament. Jesus Christ, through the intricacies of these prophecies, clearly is identified through the whole of the Bible. The entire Bible, the message from cover to cover, book to book. It's all about Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. It's all about Jesus. All about Jesus. Isaiah 53 speaks of a suffering Messiah a crucified Messiah. How many of you saw the little video I posted on our thing about, about the forbidden book to the Jews, Hebrew, uh, Isaiah 53? Because it talks about his suffering servant. It talks about his crucifixion. And it was amazing. If you didn't get a chance to look at it, look at that video. I thought it was very interesting. In the Old Testament scripture, listen, we see prophecies of his triumphal entry sold for 30 pieces of silver, betrayed by a friend, forsaken and deserted by his disciples, silent before his accusers, struck and spit on, executed among sinners, hands and feet were pierced, and it goes on and it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. All these prophecies in the Old Testament that were written, that were fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. Every single one of them. So many things indicated. It is very clear throughout the Old Testament that God, through the prophets, listen, they kept heralding the hope of the world, the Messiah, Jesus. He was coming. Well, you might say, well, God, you certainly took a long time to do all this, right? He took his sweet time. But see, God is on his schedule. He's not on our schedule. And sometimes we forget that as people. We want God to be on our schedule. That's the problem. God has a schedule already fixed in time for all of us. There's a reason that you all here. This is by, by divine appointment. God orchestrates everything in your life and my life. He sees it. A lot of times the results of our lives are because of the unwise choices that we make in our life that are opposite of what the character of God wills through his written word. And so we need to understand that his written word is everything. It should be everything to you as you read. You should read it daily. Feed upon it daily. Ingest it. I mean, you, you wouldn't go without food daily. Unless you're just sick. I've been there. But I've been there when I got done. I was real hungry, right? I was hungry, right? God is always doing something infinitely much bigger than you and I could ever see or understand. Always. Now the prophecies of the Bible are just one form of preparation for the anticipation of his arrival as we start this season off. Just one form. There's another way God tells us how he prepared for the coming of the Messiah. And this other way is very, extremely important that we must see and we must understand it. Now, if God is willing to do all these things in preparation for his coming, what does that leave us as believers to believe in his coming again? There are prophecies about his coming again. He's coming again. And we need to think about that. He is, listen, he is going to, as meticulously as he did in the Old Testament, precisely fulfill every prophecy in the New Testament concerning his coming again, in the second coming, for you and for me, his church, if you are a true believer. And make no mistake about it, he's coming whether you are a believer or not. So let's take a different perspective on this. God has worked in every area of life preparing, listen, to save you. God has worked in the area of life preparing to save you from the beginning of time. He has worked 
diligently, meticulously set things up so that you could be saved, to save you, to seal you as a child, to seal you, and to give you his divine inheritance. But there's a warning that comes with it. There's a warning. For God to construct, organize, listen, produce such evidence of his coming involving himself in the preparation, born a virgin, listen, ministry, nailed cross, resurrected life. If God has amassed this evidence of his presence and his purpose and plan to redeem you, for you to reject his grace, his salvation, so that when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you will stand before him with a mass of evidence against you. A mass of evidence against you. You will stand in his presence absolutely guilty before God without excuse for all the sins you committed with no more hope because it was in the world that you left behind. In heaven, listen, it will be too late for you who don't know Jesus. You need to get on board. You need to get saved today. That's why you're in this room, if, I'm ta- if God's talking to you. Be saved today. In fact, in Romans 3, verses 19 through 20, listen to what it says, what Paul wrote. Now we know that whatever the law says speaks to those who are subject to the law, so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. You can say, I'll wait to, to get saved or whatever, but listen, when you die and you stand, you're going to stand face to face in judgment, seed of God. You're going to be standing there, and you're not going to, and you know, and as a lost person, they say, well, I'm just going to ask God about this. No, you're not. It says right here, every month, because you're going to know. You're going to know, just like he was trying to reveal to you when he squeezed your heart and you rejected him. You're going to know when you stand in his presence, and you're not going to say a word. For no one, he says, will be justified in his sight by the works of the law. Because, listen, that's where the knowledge of our sin comes from. The law tells us that we're sinners. And it should drive us to a holy Savior, Jesus. Because he shed his blood, he did all the work, so you don't have to do anything. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't do enough good things. No person can pray you to heaven. No one. You can't say whatever, you, nobody, no pastor, I can't. This pastor here, I could never say a prayer that's going to get you into heaven, ever. No priest, no pastor, no anybody can pray you to heaven. By faith, listen, by grace through faith are you saved. By grace through faith, unmerited favor. Jesus died on the cross, he shed all of his blood, all, every drop was meant for you and for me. Every last drop of blood was shed for you and for me. And you've got to trust his sacrificial death on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. He did it. You've got to believe he did it for you. Trust him with all your heart. I cannot go to heaven no other way. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am what? The way. He says the only way. He says I'm the truth. I'm the only truth. I'm the what? The life. He's the only life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is your high priest. He is your pastor. He is your Lord. He is your king. He is everything. He's your best friend. He laid his life down for you. That's why I know he's your best friend. How many people laid down their life for you? Hmm. Jesus did it willingly. He didn't begrudgingly do it. He loved you so much. And listen, you can just see through the annals of time how God has orchestrated everything. That's why I say it's so important that you're here. It's so important that you're sitting here. It's so important that you go to the highways and the hedges and tell the people all around and compel them to come in so that his house, not this house, but his house would be full, slam full. Jesus died for all. He didn't die for some. He died for all mankind. And we have to get out there telling Christmas, we live in a, this month is a great time for us to think about who's one that we've been doing. Who's your 10? Who's your 15? Who's your 20? Who, who's your one when you're in Walmart? Who's your one when you're at the restaurant eating? Who's your one when you go see and talk to your neighbor? Think about who's your one. Think about 
Listen, without Jesus, they're doomed for eternity. But with Jesus, it's life everlasting. Forever. And we got to be about it. God orchestrated everything in perfect, succinct order. He knows what he's doing. You're here by divine ordination of God to sit in this place right now, to hear this very specific message. What we got to decide is what we're going to do with this message. Listen, I want to prove it to you. Listen, God is in charge of everything. Let me show you. Let me show you how he's in charge. I'm going to kind of go through the history. You ready? Here we go. God spoke to Abraham, living in a pagan society. Abraham listened to God and had a covenant relationship with God. It could never be broken, right? He said to Abraham, he said, your, he said, your, your people are going to be the sands of the seashore, man, the stars in the heaven. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing. He, and he would never break his chosen, uh, 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 he would never break with his chosen people ever. He chose them out of all the people of the world. God called him out from among a people as a chosen nation for God's own purpose. God told Abraham, I'm going to give you a land for his people forever. God said to Abraham that through your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. The seed of promise. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Listen, Jacob had 12 sons. This made up the great family of the nation of Israel. Out of the 12, the most usually prominent one is Joseph that we see in Scripture. For he takes up about the last 14 chapters of the book of Genesis. Amazing story. If you've never read that, you need to read that. Amazing. But in the mind of God, the most important son of Jacob was Judah. Think about that. Judah. Judah. The most prominent. The man through who the genealogical line of Jesus would come through. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Through Jacob and his sons. It's interesting how God works, isn't it? It's interesting how he orchestrates everything in perfect time. Then we see Joseph treated terrible by his brothers. Sold into slavery, taken to Egypt, served in Potiphar's house. Led out of jail to interpret Pharaoh's dream of seven years of plenty and seven years of what? Of famine. Joseph becomes the prime minister of Egypt and saves the nation of Israel. We see the famine in the promised land with Jacob. So severe they pick up and they move everything that they have down to Egypt. Jacob reconnects with his son Joseph, whom thought, who he thought was dead. Pharaoh gives them the land of Goshen. They lived there for over 400 years. And while they were there, they forgot about God and, and the promise to Abraham. They forgot until they started being persecuted. Then slavery begins, they're persecuted. We all know the story of Moses, the deliverer. Amazing. Pharaoh lets God's people go after the 10th plague. The Israelites wander for 40 years in the desert. Joshua takes Israel into the promised land once again. Then the book of Judges, the train wreck in the Bible. Joseph did not mentor anybody. It was why we have Judges. Moses mentored Joshua. Joshua mentored nobody. Where is the coming of the Messiah? Then in Samuel comes what? Kings. King Saul, and then King David, and then King Solomon. Then we see the nation of Israel split in two. Israel to the north, Judah to the south. The ten northern tribes are taken into captivity in Assyria in 722 B.C. They end up scattered all over the known world. Next, the two tribes are taken to Babylonian exile by King Nebuchadnezzar for 70 years. 50,000 Jews were taken captive to Babylon. They started synagogues in all the lands where they were dispersed to survive as Jews, as the chosen of God. Synagogues were everywhere. Ezra and Nehemiah go back to rebuild Jerusalem under King Cyrus, who comes after King Nebuchadnezzar. Right? To rebuild Jerusalem. Then after that, we have Alexander the Great. He conquers the world, building the greatest empire. He's a military genius. He was a great motivator of men. He conquered most of the known world. His uncle Philip trained him in military strategies while his mama taught him how to drink and live a life of debauchery. He died a young man. Alexander the Great 
and to Hellenize the culture. Great philosophers like Socrates and Aristotle, listen, and many others. The Greek language, the most of, accurate of languages for the day, he taught everyone that language, teaching the world, making it possible for the world to know the scriptures and Jesus. More Jews were speaking Greek than they were speaking Hebrew during this time. This is why the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, was birthed of the Hebrew Scripture. Alexander the Great spreading his Hellenistic philosophy and culture over the world. And then there came a period of time where there was peace and there was stuff going on and, and the Jews weren't, they were more free than anything else. They began to get stronger and stronger. And then we can read in Amos, there was a prophecy of a great famine, not a famine of food, but a famine of quietness from God. Between Malachi and Matthew, that's the 400 years that God did not speak. Think about it. 400 years is a long time. Our nation's been here how long? 248 years? 400 years is a long time. You could lose a lot over 400 years. And then the Romans come upon them. During this time, they conquered them. The land everywhere. The Greek language was primary. Things were going good. Peace in the land, protection, good roads, the seas for transportation, all that. Religion was tolerated. All religions were tolerated to a point. Everything seemed to be set. But listen to this. The hand of God was in every single thing prior to Jesus coming on the scene. God was orchestrating everything for his timeline, not ours. For what was about to happen, turn to Luke chapter 2. Let's read through Luke chapter 2. And I think this is really good because Caesar really thought he was something. Luke chapter 2 verse 1, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea in the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough because there was no room for them at the lodging place. The shepherds and the angels in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified, but the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today a Savior, who is Messiah the Lord, was born for you in the city of David, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth, lying in a feeding trough. And suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to people he favors. Over in Rome, Caesar Augustus thought he was making every decision, when in reality, God was making every decision. See this, from eternity past, God is the one who made the decree in a certain day that a woman would give birth in Bethlehem to the Messiah. God so decreed that those same magi, wise men, somewhere else in Persia to come to Bethlehem. The angels announced to the shepherds that the coming of the Messiah, behold, a child will be born who is Christ the Lord. God moved men. God moved nations. God moved civilizations. And God even moved the heavens for the coming of the Messiah. Let us not forget. When we look, we see how God moved men, civilization, even heaven to bring about a certain time the gift of our Savior would come. I want to tell you, if you reject the God-man Jesus, the only hope of mankind's salvation, you remember this, that Almighty God meticulously protected every single prophecy, everything God orchestrated and moved it and, and, and set it up exactly the way he wanted it to go and the way it would be. His will, he's sovereign, his will is perfect. God moved every single man. God moved every single nation. God even moved heaven itself to bring about perfection of the birth of his only begotten son, Jesus. 
Man, that should just put some joy in your heart. To reject his son is the sin that is above all sins that man can commit. Galatians 4.4, when the time came to completion, God arranged all these times. Paul understood this. He arranged all these times in order that the world would be redeemed forever as sons and daughters of God. There are two things before we finish I want to talk about. Ephesians 1, 13. You might want to write that down. Ephesians 1, 13. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in him, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. In Christ, you and I are sealed in him forever. Through the Holy Spirit of promise, there's nothing, there's no sickness, no problem, no pain, no agony, nothing that you go through can ever separate you from the love of Christ. He has sealed you until the day that you died, you stand in his presence, and he says, come on in. I look for that day. Don't you look for that day? I look for that day. In Galatians 4, 6, and 7, he says, and because you are sons, he says, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. In fact, in Ephesians 1, 13, or 1, 11, listen to what he says. He says, we have also received inheritance in him, predestined according to the purpose of the one who works out everything in agreement with the decision of his will. This is how much God loves you and loves me. This is what he's trying to get across to us today. He loves us so much. Men, nations, civilizations, heaven, in order to bring about the birth of his only begotten son, the John 3, 16 fulfilled, orchestrated through the eons of time and antiquity past. When Jesus was born, when Jesus was born, listen, Mankind's opportunity for redemption was born. You hear me? When Jesus was born, mankind's opportunity for redemption was born. We have now been adopted into the kingdom of God. If we're saved, we know him as Savior. To as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become what? The sons and daughters of God. That's encouraging. A great inheritance that God has provided for his son and everything that God has been manipulating and from eternity past is in order to make you and me the sons and the daughters of God. That we would enjoy the inheritance of God. In order that Ephesians 2, that in the future days that all the angels will bow and praise God as they see and witness us as the trophies of God's grace. That's going to happen, folks. As witnesses of God's great, glorious grace manifested to sinners when the day he saved us with the glorious blood of his Son. Everything the Bible says is that God loves sinners and is willing to save them. Just the way we are. Come as you are. That, my friends, is what Christmas is all about. A Christmas to remember <laughs> for you and for me. With a warning that if you reject and deny him, you heard from eternity past, God arranged the affairs. He's arranged it all. Thus is the same God who is fulfilling every affair of mankind to govern our lives so that every single prophecy, listen, will be accomplished. You will stand before God and he will show you the tremendous mass of information he has amassed for you to see. You will stand with no excuse. Do not reject God. Do not reject his plan for you. You will go to hell because you chose. Listen, through your rejection of him, to go there. We all must humble ourselves before Almighty God to be saved. Every one of us. When you reject Jesus, you reject all hope of being saved by a mighty God. The Savior, my Lord, my life, turn from sin, confess, repent. There's only one hope for eternity, and it's Jesus Christ. 
Don't leave here to celebrate Christmas without Jesus as your Savior. Christmas is Jesus. Let us not forget it. Christmas is Jesus. The reason for this season. Now what I want you to do is, if you notice, there's all these little, little boxes up here that my wife and her sister so graciously put together. And these boxes are, they could be either be an ornament for your tree or something to put on your, um, to put on your um, shelf or something like that. But I, I've got something I want you to put in this box every week through this sermon series. Because I want this to be a, a Christmas to remember. I want you to remember this Christmas. I want you to think deeply about your soul. I want you to think deeply about your family's soul. I want you to think deeply about your friends, where they, where they will spend eternity. I want you to go back. I want you to hang this on a tree every year. Do it. In the, Today, we dropped a little scroll in there that kind of reminds you of the Word of God and how important it is. As we've been studying through the book of Acts, we've gone through, listen, there's a reason why Jesus opened the eyes of his disciples and all the people. When Peter preached and Peter was bringing the Old Testament to them, there's a reason why he opened their eyes on the road to Emmaus so they could see. He opened their eyes to the law and the prophets. Why? It was necessary for all these prophecies that I just talked about, and I didn't talk about all of them, all these prophecies to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ so that we would see the evidence was insurmountable. Jesus is the real deal. Jesus is the only way. And listen, the Bible teaches us how we come to Jesus. We have to come humbly before him. We have to come open. We have to come to him brokenhearted. We come to him, listen, knowing that there's nothing that you and I could ever do. We can't clean ourselves. We can't pray ourselves. There's nothing any one of us can do to get to glory to be with Jesus forever. Jesus is the only way. And I encourage everyone, if you've never heard that, you haven't been probably raised or trained in that, listen, it's only by Jesus. It's not by Pastor Phil or anybody else. It's only by Jesus and his shed blood for your sin and for mine. <laughs> Man, and when you trust that he died for you, and you know he died for listen, listen, the Holy Spirit comes in and energizes your life, shows you the direction that you must go, should have to ever chase you down when you make a decision. Jesus is the one that helps you to understand who he is because if it's a true salvation, he comes in and he gets to show you. We are here. We are concerned for your souls. We're concerned what your next steps are when you receive Christ as Savior. And so today, if there's anyone here that's never trusted Jesus as Savior, I want to encourage you with every head bowed and every eye closed. Man, is God speaking to your heart? Maybe you were raised in a different denomination or church or stuff and you never heard, you never, you didn't, you never heard that, all, that you could go straight to Jesus. You can. He's waiting. He sits at the Father's right hand and he intercedes on your behalf even now. So I want to encourage you in the stillness of the time, in the moment, nobody looking around. My prayer can't pray you into heaven. I don't want to make a Baptist out of you or anything. I just want to see you as a child of God. I want to see you saved and ready for heaven. So if you need to receive Jesus as your Savior, just ask him. Just talk like you talk to anybody else. Talk to God. He's listening right now for you. Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Say, Jesus, I believe you died for me on the cross. Jesus, I give my life over to you this morning. I thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. I thank you for shedding your blood for me. I thank you for raising up from the dead just for me. I believe that this morning with all that I am. And Lord, it's my heart to turn away from all the junk I've been living, leave it behind, turn around, and walk towards you, Lord Jesus, for the rest of my life. Living my life in obedience, humbly, to your direction in my life. Come into my heart, Jesus, now. I ask you, I can't do it any longer. 
I need you, Jesus. No one looking around. If anyone prayed to receive Christ as Savior, would you just, just let me know, just raise your hand up for me if you would. Just raise your hand up. Nobody's looking around. Amen. 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 Christians, make this a Christmas to remember. Make sure you're on track. Make sure you're on that narrow road where you need to be serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for my Christian brothers and sisters. I thank you for their commitment to you. Lord, that they're sold out to you, God. That's my heart's prayer, is that they're sold out, tax, title, license, everything, God. They don't hold anything back. But Lord, if there's anything in our lives that shouldn't be there, God, yeah, it's a time, Lord, to remove it. Lord, as we give it and turn it over to you right now today, let this be a Christmas to remember for each and every one of us. Father, I thank you for this time together. I praise you for all that you do and all that you will be doing in the life of this fellowship here as you use us to make much of you and less of ourselves so that the whole world would know that we're part of your intricate plan to share the good news that Jesus saves. Father, I thank you for all that you're doing. Go with us now and use us, God, for your glory but for our good. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Listen, if you made a decision to receive Christ as Savior, man, come let me know. Let Denise and I know. Let us know so we can help you on what to do next. Can you do that? Amen. And listen, in the boxes up there, we made enough boxes, one for family. So go get your box. Don't stampede all at once. <laughs>